Welcome to A Dame Walks In, session one on the Just Barbarian Things actual play of Cthulhu Confidential. The Los Angeles of this world contains graphic violence, questionable morals, bad language, the occult, otherworldly dangers, and some historical discrimination and politics. You have been warned. This is a duet game featuring Santiago, as Enrique Kincaid, private investigator, and me, Rainey, as the game master. It's LA, 1937, and Enrique Kincaid is on the case. Hello, barbarians, and welcome to this, our first session of Cthulhu Confidential. I'm Rainey, and I will be running this for Santiago. I'm Santiago, and I will be playing this for Rainey. <laughs> um, <laughs> we are recording this first session on a very cold, slightly late weeknight, so we'll see how this goes. But for this first session, um, for those of you who are audio only, I'm sorry, because we will be doing a little bit of a tour of what I've set up in Roll20 so that Santiago is familiar with what we'll be dealing with. So as you can see, our landing page is this here map of Los Angeles in the 1930s. And I've already heard you looking around quite a bit, but a couple of things to take note of. Uh, the yellow box uh, is Hollywood, which has an inset on the bottom right. And the red box is downtown, which has an inset on the bottom left. If you look at the bottom left, that pin is the location of your office. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, we will reference the locations on the map as we go, uh, but your office actually isn't that far from where you went to college. Oh, yeah. At the University of Southern California. Correcto. All right. So, I mean, you know where chat is and stuff. That is where you will see your dice rolls and whatnot. That's all fine. If you wouldn't mind hopping over to the journal tab. Okay. And uh -huh. I will go ahead and move us over to your office. Oh. All right. So at the top of your journal tab is your character sheet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, on, okay. If you click on that, the front page with your bio and info has your picture that you've selected for your casting and the backstory information that you wrote. Oh yeah, okay. If you go to the attributes and abilities tab, mm -hmm. on the left are all of your investigative abilities. So notice oh. no way to roll them because they do not roll. Okay, and yeah. on the right are all of your general abilities. If you want yeah. to, you can press the dice button under each of those names to roll but I'll show you another spot that I've set up for you that's a little easier. But if you ever wanna reference all of your skills at once, they are here, as well as on the character sheet that you made in real life. Okay. Okay. Wow, all right, yeah. All right, so the other way that you can roll 
if you look at your office on the main screen, <laughs> if you click on your character, his portrait's on the table there, you should notice that at the top of this window, it shows all of your rollable skills and you can click on any of them from there as well. Wow, okay, I see. Dang. Went all out with this one. I was just trying to make it easy because there isn't a character sheet for this system in Roll20 yet. Well, there is now. All right. Kind of. <laughs> sort of, but we made it work. Yeah. Uh, for those of you familiar with Roll20, what I did was I made all of the rolls that he can do as token macros. So when he clicks on the token, they all come up as buttons. All right. For the folks who did not get to hear our session zero, or maybe our patrons who just haven't heard it for a second, why don't you tell us a little bit about your character? Okay. Well, I feel like we should start um, present day. Normally, I just go zero to 60, you know? Sure. I'm born, I grow up, all that. This time, um, I'd like you to meet Enrique Kincaid. He is 37 years old, and he is a private detective in the state of California, and the sole proprietor of Kincaid Investigations. So you are a, a bit of, private oh, investigator. Um, and so for this story, just for those listening, that's the role that you will be playing, is a private investigator doing jobs. Right. But carry on. Oh, I was just going to say a little about him. He is a World War I veteran. And um, he's uh, yeah, Enrique and, and the drink, it's no secret, are quite fond of one another. And the two may be related. Uh, he apprenticed and worked as a journeyman locksmith for a while and is a former police officer with the Los Angeles Police Department. However, he was let go under less than favorable circumstances. Um, he just wasn't the type of guy to play ball at the time, um, according to most historical records. Uh, the police force in that area was notoriously corrupt, and he would also try to overstep his bounds as a, uh, as a as a uniform police officer and interfere with investigations. It just didn't work out. But now you are, as you said, sole proprietor of Kincaid Investigations. Is that right? Correct. Um, and, and here we are at your booze-soaked desk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we get into the story proper, I would like to introduce you to your contacts. So if you look on your journal tab, you should be able to expand your contacts list. And mm -hmm. I will introduce them to you. So um, your first contact is Ted Gargan. Oh. He is Detective Sergeant Ted Gargan, and he is commander of the Homicide Night Shift. Um, he is one of the few cops that doesn't seem to hate you, 
And as far as you're concerned, probably one of the only ones who isn't in the mop's pocket. Yeah. He seems a good guy. Um, as a contact, notice he doesn't have any skills or anything that we're going to be listing here. Um, instead, he is going to be able to give you some access to information or maybe things that only police would have access to. So he's that kind of contact for you. Okay. All right. Next. Didn't need to bring her out that way. Hocha. No? We'll do it this way. Hopao. All right. So next is Betty Myrna. She is a secretary at City Hall. Um, she's helped you out more than once, uh, both in your times as a cop and now as a private eye. Um, she has access to a lot of intel with where she works at City Hall and no patience for Borge men because she doesn't have to. She holds a lot of power there as well. On her attributes and abilities tab, you will see that um, the abilities that she gives you access to. So these are things that if you wanted to use, you could come to her to do these things for you. So she can do anything related to accounting, architecture, art history, bureaucracy, flattery, and law. All right. Now, just to give us some background, because I made these NPCs based on your character selection uh, of your traits. But mm -hmm. for Betty, since she has one of your contacts, uh, what's, what's one of the last things you worked on together? What's something you sh either she helped you with or you helped her with recently? I want to say that something I helped her with was tracking down a um, not unidentified, a family member, right? Close family, but didn't uh, exactly disclose to me the nature of their relationship, whether it was cousin or sister or whatever. Okay. Just had me track down this young lady and... Um, and let her know where she was. And that's really all that she wanted. I don't know who this person was to her, nor do I know what she did with the information I provided. Okay. Cool. Very good. All right. Next on the list, we have Dr. Edwin Chang. Ooh. He is a professor of history and archaeology at USC. Um, he is well known for his knowledge of digs and forensics. He works a lot with old bodies. So the uh, abilities he gives you access to are archaeology, forensics, geology, and photography. All right. Now, he was one of your professors when you were in school but you've still kept in touch. So what is it about you in your time as a student that kind of caught his attention? I think it was uh, my motivation for enrolling and attending school that I returned from 
the French front World War One after Armistice. And I was just haunted and driven to determine, um, to make sense of my experience there. Um, and something I think about my demeanor in that regard resonated with Dr. Chang. And uh, it's what led us to strike up a conversation and then subsequent conversations and then our uh, friendship sort of coalesced organically from there. Awesome. All right. Next, we have Paz de la Concepcion Hernandez. Uh, she is a curandera. So okay. she has her um, kind of shop set up in the Chavez Ravine area, which is kind of a, I mean, for lack of a better word, it's a ghetto that a lot of brown and black people live in, in this area. Mm -hmm. She is a traditional healer. Um, and the sign outside her shop front lists her specialties. Yerbera, huesera, partera, oracionista, salvadora, y bruja. <laughs> so a little bit of everything. Um, she has, over the years, helped you with some of your many occult questions. Um, but she's also a very discreet provider of medical care um, when you are in need of some patching up. What is one of the first things you brought to her that she helped you figure out? Mm. Well, let's see. So it wouldn't be the first time I availed myself of her services. That was a more mundane encounter, I think. I had to come to her with something that I just couldn't figure out. So what I'm getting from this is that I brought her um, like a phylactery of sorts, um, but not in the traditional sense. I mean, it wasn't a fragment of like a, a saint's body or something like that but it right. was a bone a human okay. bone right that i brought to her and she helped me figure out um the story with that associated with that and actually allowed me to track down um the uh killer of the um, finger bones erstwhile owner. All right. So she gives you access to astronomy, biology, inspiration, pharmacy, reassurance, theology, and magic. All right. She's pretty cool. Next, your other medical friend 
is Dr. Rosamond Washington. She is a doctor of neurology and psychology, and her office as is at Rancho Los Amigos Hospital. Um, she was someone who worked with you when you first came back from the war, um, helping you through some of your stresses um, and your issues, of which you have many, I'm sure. And she has proved to be um, like a really solid, trustworthy expert for you to go to when you need to understand the workings of the mind and body. So she gives you access to biology, chemistry, medicine, psychology, cool, hypnosis, and psychoanalysis. Did you end up deciding to switch your stats around at all? Uh, I know that we had talked about that, that I was going to end up taking a little cool like, instead of something else. Right. Uh, but I didn't end up ever doing that, no. All right. I mean, we still have time if you want to make any changes. It, her skills just reminded me of that. Yeah, I was pro- I was going to take uh, one of my twos, I think, and just make it a one so I could have a one in cool, I think. That was what I was going to end okay. up doing. Well, you can um, decide which one that is in a moment. All right. It's probably going to be first aid. All right, so for Dr. Washington, what is, I mean, for the most part, you have trusted her. Um, You know she knows what she's talking about, but what's one thing that she's either advised you about or gives you a friendly, like, nagging about that you do not really follow the way you should? Um, uh, Dr. Washington, wants me to uh, cut back on my drinking and she's always chiding me about it and I'm always I'm always telling her tales that she doesn't buy (laughs) as far as that is concerned Um, so I always tell her that I've cut back that I'm gonna quit that all that and she knows better she sees right through me every time. All right. Last but not least is your old friend from back home, Daniel Guerra. He works in movie special effects and location scouting. Um, he wanted to be an actor. He moved out to LA before you did, really. So, uh, but There isn't, he's not a young white guy. So he's had some trouble getting into the industry, but he got his foot in the door working in special effects, ended up having a pretty decent knack for it. And uh, his work with the major studios on that has started to catch the eye of a few directors. He gives you access to bargain, intimidation, outdoorsman, physics, Disguise, explosives, and stealth. Okay. All right, then. What is some bit of trouble that you and Daniel got up to back in your young days that 
he knows about, but you probably haven't told anyone else about. Back, back on the farm, back in the small town. Um, those uh, small towns are notoriously uh, boring. Mm-hmm. As, as I understand. And there's not a whole lot to do for young folks. So that's why they tend to uh, get up to uh, Dickens sometimes. <laughs> uh, and I want to say there was a a meeting of uh, some kind, like an adult meeting, like a farmer's a association or whatever uh, meeting of some kind. That they decided to prank one day by um, stocking, like, like putting a bunch of chickens in the meeting hall, like the night before. So that when the members of the whatever association came in the meeting, it would look like a uh, untended chicken coop. And we all know what that means. Just, uh, yeah, <laughs> gross, right? And so... Um, but something went wrong with that. If uh, if I'm if I'm reading this right, something went wrong with that, and there was some more significant damage than we had anticipated. Okay. And one last final detail is Daniel got caught, and he took the fall for the whole thing. And he refused to let me come forward. Basically insisted that only one of us need, you know, um, bear the uh, bear the punishment for this uh, misstep, and hmm. and insisted on on taking the fall for it when I should have turned myself in. And uh, and done, you know, done a time with him. Not like time. We didn't go to jail or anything right. like that. But you know, the consequences. Yeah. 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 Sounds like a nice guy. All right. So those are all your beautiful friends. What you will notice throughout this adventure, um, this scenario is called the fathomless sleep. But it could also easily be called, damn, rich white people, why don't you figure out your lives? (laughs) Um, So many of the people you're going to interact with, and many of them horrible people in this adventure, are going to be rich white people. (laughs) Because, you know, but all your friends are cool and eclectic and not all messed up like these other people. And they're there to help you. So remember, in cases where you have the time 
to bring something to one of your contacts to help you with, they can use their abilities to do so. Otherwise, in the heat of the moment, you will be relying on your own abilities. So speaking of any changes that you want to make before we get into our first scene. Do you investigative abilities or either? I mean, either, but you were thinking about moving dice around. So I'm just checking. Yeah, I think I'd like to move um, one of first aid. I turn first aid from a two to a one and take one then cool. Okay. So let me add cool for you, child. Beautiful, the best. And now that is part of your token action. So that's all updated for you. So, yep, perfect. All right, so the last thing we need to do, the last thing you need to select before we get started is your starting problem. Mm. So you'll notice there are four black-backed cards on the table currently. Mm -hmm. The black back cards are your problems. The blue back cards are your edges. You will not start with any of those. But let me flip these for you. These are your four options for the problem that you can start with. Based on your background, I have some ideas about what you might take, but this is completely up to you. This is one of the ways that you customize your scenario and certain events that may occur for you. So feel free to read them into the record, let the listeners know what's going on, and then let me know which one you want to keep. So I have to choose one of these problems, see? And oh, that's disconcerting. Okay. Uh, the first one is called Who Killed the Cat? Uh, even when you shouldn't look, or have no reason to want to know something. You can't not look, can't stop probing. You worry problems like a terrier worries a rat. Problem two is lonely. You should have gotten over her by now. She's gone and gone for good. It's time you moved on, found someone new. Maybe someone who won't play you for a sap this time. Oh, hell, who are you kidding? Problem three is broke. Nobody could ever accuse you of loving money. You wouldn't be an honest private eye if that were the case. But a man needs to eat and keep the lights on. And you're on the verge of being evicted from both your apartment and your office. This leaves problem four. Vice hound. Gambling, whores, the opium pipe. You've kicked all those vices before. So if you slip a bit and indulge one or more of your compulsions, you can straighten yourself again, right? Right? All right. So you may pick one of these to have to start this scenario. Okay. So I don't want to seem lame, but it matches my backstory perfectly to pick who killed the cat or what killed the cat. Sorry. Okay. It's not so you want to go with that one? So that's the one I want to go with. Yes. Okay. That's why he couldn't make it in the force. That's why he went to college. That's <laughs> why, I mean, 
it, it's it's a perfect fit. All right. Obviously, you can use this uh, yourself to help you with role-playing certain decision points. I will also be able to use this at certain points to force you into maybe some situations that otherwise would not have been a problem or to cause you some penalties to things you try to do to maybe avoid digging at that problem so deeply. All right. As all good detective noir stories start, our first scene involves a dame walking into your office. So your office is, it's a dingy little spot. This is what you could afford. You're the only one who works here. This is your place. Um, I imagine it's not very big. It's probably one room, one unless room. this is also your apartment. Mm. Nah, I don't think so. Okay. So tell me a little bit about what you actually have managed to outfit this place with. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, not that, um, it's pretty sparse to say, uh, to say the least. I've only been at this game, um, about three years, depending on, uh, the time of year it is now. Um, so over the course of that time, I've managed to secure a desk and a chair and a filing cabinet, a small uh, round table, like a uh, breakfast table type of situation, a single pedestal in the middle right. that it stands on, uh, a filing cabinet, and a, um, a coat rack that I've managed to, uh, like one of the tall standing coat rack right. type of jobs with the, the curls at the top for you to hang your hat on without damaging it and so on. And I've fashioned it, I've crafted it, I've done a little DIY on it to add a ring to it for umbrellas. Okay, not often needed in LA, but maybe more often needed in Noir, LA. <laughs> I am so glad you picked up on that. <laughs> because this is Noir, baby. So it's going <laughs> to rain a lot more than it does in reality. <laughs> and then the last thing I need to know about your office is there's one thing in here that sets it apart from sort of the default down on his luck PI office. What is that one thing that kind of makes your office a little different? I want to say that I have something alive in here, not like a not like a pet necessarily in the traditional sense, but maybe a a plant or a, a bonsai, although those typically don't do so good indoors, I'm to understand. Um, it's maybe more. A, Who knows? Moody ass bonsai. Maybe a fish or something like that. You know what hmm. I mean? Because like a fish is a, a a pet. I mean, I guess, but like you know what I mean? Like yeah, not, but you don't pet it. I mean, I get it. 
Right. It's not like a pet in the same sense of like a dog or a cat or like even a It's rat. more ornamental than interactive. Yeah. You know, it lives in its bowl. You feed it. You clean the bowl. <laughs> Otherwise, you look at it. Uh, so something like that, I just, I just have to decide what. And the more I think about it, the more I'm leaning towards something like a plant of some kind. But okay. something not just like your your average like house plant right this is right. something uh uncommon something exotic but that can live in the office with minimal special care you know? maybe like an orchid there you go something like that okay yeah definitely wouldn't be expected to see when someone walks in but there it is it's one and, little green stick with a pretty flower on the end of it somehow. well taken care of yeah. like you know what i mean everything else is a bit uh disheveled a bit dingy like you were saying maybe there's some general disarray um to the area the couch that i have has definitely seen better days it was absolutely procured secondhand you know there is a thick but well-worn quilt you know, on it and, and you can tell that you know there's more than one night or you know early morning that's been spent here so um this orchid is kind of stands out just by its contrast of being bright and clean and well kept all right so there you are in your office on this drizzly noir la day <laughs> um your umbrella dripping softly in its modified stand at the coat rack. When up to the door and through the door, nary a knock to be had, walks the dame. So here she is. All right. That is a dame, all right. And she walks right in, right up to your desk and sits down at the the one slightly squeaky chair, I assume, that's out in front of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And she says, well, Mr. Kincaid, I'm Margaret, Margaret Deacon, and I have a job for you. Uh-huh. Well, I'm a, I'm a little busy just now. Uh, I don't know if I can uh, make room for you in my in my schedule, but uh, why don't we discuss it? Certainly, and I can definitely make it worth your while. I, you see, I did my research, Mr. Kincaid, and I know that if you choose to take this job, you won't be able to be bribed to back down from it. You have a reputation, and that's the kind of man I need for this. Well, uh, I suppose man's got to stand for something, but uh, this is going to run you 50 greenbacks a day plus expenses. 
She sort of waves off the number as if it's nothing, <laughs> um, reaches into her clutch purse, uh, pulls out a case, and from that case pulls a cigarette and holds it out almost nonchalantly towards you. To light. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because I absolutely have to, uh, to light that. And she looks up at lighter. you. Yeah, as you apparently choose to light that for her as a gentleman would. She looks you in the eyes and she says, so tell me, Mr. Kincaid, will you see this to the end? Can you do that for me? So this is the uh, leap before you look moment that I think is uh, an essential part of of any noir story that there you are in, in your office and it's been a lousy day you're just planning to take the day off and uh and there you are and, and she walks and it's almost like a, a magical spell that it doesn't matter what the case is you're gonna take it the other problem is that this is one hell of a dame. Yeah. I would yeah, say by default, uh, this would be a cool role. But oh. if you feel like there's something you have better to kind of resist going into this for the wrong reasons, I'd be happy to entertain other options. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think cool makes sense. Okay. Uh, um, I don't know where my token actions are, though. So if you click on the little portrait that's on the desktop. Uh, then they come up. Then they pop Got up it. at the top. Okay, cool. Then I just have to click the cool button. That is true. And it'll show up in the chat just like a regular rule. Wow. All right. All right. Oh. I don't know what that means. It's but a four. I rolled a four. <laughs> so in this game, you get to roll your dice. If we were playing in person, you would roll one die at a time, and I'd tell you where you stood with each number, and you could choose if you wanted to take more problems or do more things to try to do better. But in this case, I can tell you that a four is the minimum you needed to do very well on this challenge. So um you can see why a hundred guys would fall in love with a woman this glamorous this whip smart fortunately for you you're not one of those guys you know how to separate business and pleasure at least in this case so not only did you resist her charm you're still going to get paid you're going to take this for a job you're going to keep a clear head but your extreme success with this role grants you an edge so let oh me boy. find your edge here it is a pile and i'll make that bigger for you you now have the edge self-possessed why don't you let people know what that does for you all right self-possessed edge a show of self-control gives you the confidence you'll need if this case gets hairy. The mechanics of it are 
you spend it for an extra die on cool or stability or for a plus two bonus to any other general or mental test. So you can use this card to help you out on a future roll because you're able to keep your cool so well on this first challenge. All right. right. So she's asked you if you'll see this to the end, if you can do that for her, you've lit her cigarette, you've not fallen in love with her, but how do you respond? So I'd want to come at it a little obliquely, you know, I don't want to answer her yes or no question with a yes or a no, you know, I want to say something a little, a little roundabout along the lines of that you don't you you can't go out into this world without knowing what you're gonna face obviously you can't know what every day holds but you have a general understanding of what to expect and I don't want to push all my chips forward without knowing what the stakes are. So before I can give you an honest guarantee, I'll have to know what I stand to lose, what I stand to win, and what the stakes are. Mr. Kincaid, you and I are of a like mind. I'm also one who prefers to be prepared. I do worry in this case if I didn't wait a little too long, try to be too prepared and come up short, but you'll find that my sister, the subject of this case, should you take it, is the one who tends to be a bit more headstrong and wasn't prepared for whatever it was she got herself into. So is she missing? Is that what the case is? We just need to track her down, bring her home. I wish it was that simple. Uh, She was missing six weeks ago. And then four weeks ago, she turned up wandering downtown late at night. She was only wearing her, her slip and her camisole, all dirty and stained up with blood. The cops picked her up and recognizing her for who she was, discreetly brought her home. But since then, she hasn't even seemed to recognize me. She's been not herself, near catatonic since whatever it is that happened to her. And I was hoping she'd get better, but she hasn't. I see. So the job is to find out where she was for those two weeks that she was missing. What happened to her and maybe how it could figure in a cure in her of her mysterious affliction. My hunch is that someone did this to her. And it's just a hunch. But that's why I'm hiring you. That's why you've negotiated what you said 50 a day plus expenses 
Uh, that's right. It's a little higher than my standard fee, but under the circumstances, it seemed warranted. Here's the thing. The longer this goes on, the less likely it seems that she's going to recover. And honestly, the more I just want whatever bastards did this to her to pay. But I need to know what's going on first. You understand? I think I do. Has she been to see any doctors or had any professional help for her affliction? Of course. I mean, she's a deacon, so we are providing her with the best care money can buy. Um, she's not in a hospital, of course. That would be scandalous. But we have um, private staff that have been at the home, and she has a nurse with her all times um, to take care of her and, and of course to be there should her condition change. Will I be able to interview her at some point? I need to gather some information first, but I imagine uh, if I could ask her a few questions, if she's able to respond, I might be able to pick up on something that might have uh, been missed. Um. Well, I do, I am concerned based on her condition that if you went in asking her questions right now, one, I don't know that you'd really be able to get much out of her, but two, uh, there are certain things where if she gets upset, she sort of flies into a fit. I'd rather if we were to set up an interview and that's certainly an if at this point that it would be after you had some more information to make sure those questions mattered. Of course, of course. Excellent idea. He said, thinking that's exactly what I said. <laughs> <laughs> well, she just doesn't want you to go and like interview her first. Like, yeah. Yeah. Bar barging on her in my fast talking high pants. <laughs> yeah. What a fine hill beans. See, why don't you say who did this to her? You snap out of it, you daffy broad. Maybe I should slap you around a little bit. <laughs> like, you know. Right. <laughs> and, uh, no. <laughs> and, uh, no, I definitely need to gather some information first and uh, so that I can ask intelligent questions. Perfectly phrased. And uh, so that's my, that's my aim right now. Uh, but uh, yeah, sounds like something I can help her with. All right, so a few things already. Obviously, she's given you some information about the timeline, the state that her sister's in, where she was found, how she's been acting. Of course, it, it is up to you to remember things or take notes as pleases you. But this is a time where if you have certain investigative abilities, you may choose to leverage them to see if you might glean more about certain details. Um, or about your client or your sister or their family. Um, or you can ask specific questions as you've been doing and she will continue to have specific answers or not as she chooses. Gotcha. So at this point, I think I'm satisfied if she is playing straight with me. So I just wanna assess her honesty to see if that's the case. Cause if I get the sense that she's shooting straight with me, I don't really, I think, need to ask her anything else because she already told me that her sister went missing and was picked up um, by the cops 
And so I can get the other side of that story from my contact at the police department. Um, so I want to assess her honesty, see if she's shooting straight with me. And then I think really the only other question I would have for her is that, is she aware of any significant events that happened leading up to her sister's uh, disappearance? Okay. Um, so you're using assess honesty. She is definitely being honest with you in that um, she is very concerned about whatever it is that happened to her sister and definitely wants someone she can trust to look into it for her. Um, when she said she was worried that she had waited too long to follow up because she was waiting for her sister to recover in some way, that seemed very honest as well. That she is concerned the trail is getting cold for whatever it is that happened. Um, sounds good. So just one more question, Mrs. Deacon. Oh, miss, thank you. <laughs> oh, of course, forgive me. Miss Deacon, can you think of anything significant that might have occurred just prior to her disappearance? Were there any uh, domestic uh entanglements or perhaps uh, anything that would have um, distressed her to the point that she would have um, sought solace in uh, you know, unconventional uh, nightlife or establishment or, or similar. Uh, I see you have not heard much about my sister. Um, she's always been the wayward one. It's always been up to me to sort of keep an eye out for her, um, which I'm, which I know she did not appreciate. Um, she was always one since our mother passed to seek companionship um, and seek answers, and not always in places that. I would approve of, and honestly, it's been difficult to conceal my disapproval, which is probably why we didn't talk as much as we should. I see. So it was fairly standard uh, interaction up, up until her disappearance. Nothing out of the ordinary, no particularly uh, fiery conversation. Oh, no, not with me. She stopped confiding in me years ago. But I will say after, after she went missing, uh, one of her gentlemen came by the house looking for her. Uh, he, uh, what was his name? Marshall, Marshall Daly, a screenwriter at Capitol, I think. I, I've run into him a few times. I know he was one of the men my sister was seeing. Um, he's a handsome, angry, jealous, I don't know, but demanded to know if I knew where she was. I wasn't sure if he was involved at the time, so I didn't tell him anything. All right. And what is your sister's name? Ah, oh, 
Yes. My sister is Helen. Helen Deacon. Uh, only a, a few years younger, but it feels sometimes that decades span between uh, our maturity, as it were, not to speak ill of her in the state that she's in. Well, all right. Sister went missing some six weeks ago. Four weeks ago, she turned up in a, uh, you know, what, a few state. Yeah, she was um, wandering, staggering around downtown, not too far from here, I would suppose. Um, like I said, missing most of her clothes covered in blood and dirt. Okay. Right. Picked up by the cops, discreetly yes. returned home. Current boyfriend, we're going to think of him as a person of interest. Marshall Daly, screenwriter at the Capitol, did you say? Capital Pictures. Capital Pictures, I knew it. Figures. <laughs> um, he was demanding answers as to her whereabouts. He mm -hmm. sent him packing uh, unsatisfied. Oh, yeah, it was when she was still missing, and I, I didn't want to give anything away should he be involved in some way. Okay. So it must have been five weeks ago. Okay. And a sister's name is Alice Deacon. Miss, Helen. Oh, <laughs> Miss Helen Deacon. Uh, Did you want a photo? Absolutely. If you have one, that could be <laughs> sure. <very> helpful. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of fun putting these together. Yeah, this casting is uh, great. That is a fantastic dress because it is white on one side and black on the other. So it's almost like this, um, you know, silk sort of front sheath and then this deep V of velvet down the back. Uh, very elegant, but also disconcerting the way she's shot uh, because she's looking at herself in the mirror, almost posing. And uh, this mirror is uh, is excellent. It's round, full length, 
So it's a very large mirror. It has four um, lines rising from each, you know, uh, hole and at each side of its uh, equator, whatever those points are called. And uh, it's interesting. It's almost evocative of a Zia symbol. Yeah. Not quite the same, but close, yeah. you know? Uh, wow. So that's not, Helen. Not quite the looker that Margaret is, but, um, but still, you know, lovely nonetheless. <laughs> I can't put my finger on who she reminds me of. Anyway, uh, I see. Well, okay. Why, thank you. Thank you, Miss Deacon. Uh, unless there's anything else you can think of that might possibly help me in my investigation, I suppose I should get to work. I, I wouldn't know what might help you at this point. Um, I pride myself on being someone who can get to the bottom of things and, and run things the way they need to be run, but this is one that's certainly stumped me. So should you need to follow up with me on anything, you can um, see me at our manor house. Um, and she gives you the location of it. Of course, it's in Beverly Hills. Um, I'll make sure the staff there knows to expect you in case you need to come by. Uh, thank you. I assure you I will only stop by if it's of utmost importance. Until then. She uh, gives you her hand. <laughs> All right. As she stands up from the, the desk. And she says, I appreciate your work in getting to the bottom of this and being discreet since you are on the payroll. You can count on me, Miss Deacon. Right. And the, uh, the first few bills of your advance payment for the day are in hand as she walks um, swiftly and assuredly towards the coat rack, puts her hat on at a jaunty angle to protect her from the drizzle, and walks right out that door. Okay, I'll make sure I can get the door for her and hold it and uh, close it behind her. Here I am, back in my office. Alone again. All right. I think I'll take another look at uh, the photo of the sister. Such an interesting photo. But it's shot. It's almost representative of a, a dichotomy that she might, you know, uh, that might be reflected in, in her. So that's very interesting. I'd like to turn it over and take a look at the back. Typically, people wrote on the back of photographs some information, something. See if there's anything. Um, by the, the date inscribed upon the back, it appears this is from some sort of New Year's party. Um, 
looks like it was last year. So relatively recent photo. But no other details recorded thereon. Okay. Excellent. Well, I don't think there's any need to spend too much time on the photo then. Yeah, I need to find out details. Details about when she was picked up. And in order to do that, in order to do that, I'll need to hit up my contact on the force. A detective Sergeant. Sergeant Detective. Detective Sergeant Ted Gergen. Sure. What time is it when you contact him and where are you contacting him? Uh, I feel like I might be familiar with his habits. So if, if I know that he stops at a certain time of day at a certain coffee shop or something like that, sure. I might run into him there, you know? Absolutely. I think you would well know uh, the places where he does frequent and the places he would prefer to meet up because it would be less likely to get him into any trouble being seen with you. Right. Just happened to bump into him at the all night diner because he is the uh, commander of the night shift. So later that night, maybe arrange okay. to bump into him. Sure. So you, uh, you meet him up at the diner, um, not too far off from where your office is. Downtown is a busy spot for a detective and a homicide cop, so nothing strange about that. Um, and he's at his usual booth with his favorite late night order, um, even though it might not be so late night right now, which is the key lime pie that he claims is excellent. Whether or not you agree, <laughs> he thinks it's great. Well, all right. Whatever makes him happy. So I wonder, do I wait for him there? Or I arrive and he's already there. Yeah, he's at his, his booth. Yeah. He's at his... Uh, his regular booth. Okay. Well, in case there's anyone watching, I don't want to get uh, Sergeant Gargan in trouble for trying to help me out. So I think if it's available, I'd like to take the booth next to his so we end up sitting uh, back to back. Yep. So you let the hostess know uh, the booth that you prefer. Great view. Of the, of the lit up street out there tonight. And she happily walks you over because that means both of her customers who are here are in the same section, which just makes everyone's job easier. Um, and asks uh, what she can get you to drink while you decide on what you want. Oh, can I get a, a cup of coffee, please? And thank you. Absolutely. And she saunters on back behind the counter. And your friend's familiar voice says, Ricky. Hey there, Gargan. What do you say? I say, uh, 
it's an interesting night when you show up for Pi. How can I help you? Yeah, it's uh, it is an interesting night indeed. If I told you who walked into my office earlier, you wouldn't believe me, so I won't bother. But I got a hot tip that uh, some of the boys recently picked up a vagrant of some repute wandering around the uh, the streets of Hollywood. And uh, I could really use some information as to how that went down. Any particulars, in fact, might be might be extra helpful. Well, what kind of reputable vagrant might you be referring to? Doesn't narrow it down much in this city. <laughs> yeah, young, rich, female, known to be a bit eccentric. Hmm. Blonde, dirty. Yeah, not quite blonde. More of a dirty blonde, just like you're saying. Picked up uh, wandering uh, half-naked and filthy. Maybe uh, maybe muttering to herself or something, I gather. I might mm. be making that last part up. Heard a bit about it. Honestly, it's been kept surprisingly quiet, but I suppose not so surprisingly for... Uh, a family like that. I think they're connected enough that there is probably more than a few bills to grease those palms to keep them quiet, at least for a bit. That stands to reason. Do you happen to know uh, who, uh, do you happen to know the name of the uniform that picked her up that night, that night, day? Night. Let's go with night. Yeah, it was night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's um, and he gives you the name of you know some beat cop who is patrolling the area. Um, Not, mm, I don't. Do you have cop talk? Um. uh, Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. So a name you recognize um, as being just kind of a a young beat cop, much like you were yourself at one time. So we picked her up and uh, brought her back to the station, whereupon she was likely recognized by a more seasoned officer and the situation was handled more delicately. We'd been, the girl had been reported missing weeks before she was picked up. Um, So we all knew who to look out for and we knew where to take her should she be found alive and well. I think he figured she seemed well enough, maybe drunk, uh, took her straight to the manor from what I heard. All right. Picked her up and took her straight home. All right. Well, sounds like this uh, cop has a a bright and promising future. So far, he seems honest enough, but these streets break you. 
So we'll see how he does. Yeah, well, I wish him all the best. I'd like to wish him all the best in person if you happen to know where I might uh, have a, a chance encounter, a chance of running into him. Yeah, so he gives you information on like the beat that he is assigned to. And, you know, obviously it's an overnight. So, you know, it's, it's luck if you'll run into him where he happens to be uh, patrolling, but the area is small enough. You might, you might spot him. Fair enough. Um, or, I mean, you know, if you want to, uh, if you want to run in, into a cop, uh, you know, I figure there's ways to make that happen. You know, I'm street wise enough to uh, to know what calls attention and and what doesn't. So maybe you could call attention on purpose in this case, so that you can uh, arrange uh, a meeting. You know, but you know, if not, that that's that's also fine. The information he's given you is enough uh, where you can probably run into him, and he says he'll let him know uh, that you're okay to talk to. Well, all right. I guess that'll be tomorrow night. All right. Just probably for the best because it's already really late. So, all right. Well, it's uh, it's been great not talking to you as always, Gargan. I hope the pie stays uh, not too sweet, not too tart, just the way you like it. You always make a mistake not staying to have some. I'll take you up on that one of these days and I'll leave my, uh, my nickel on the, the table to pay for the cup of coffee. And, uh, so I guess she can keep all of the change and hopefully that'll pay her rent for the month or something <laughs> like that. That sounds about right. <laughs> I feel like it's, it's 1937. So like, money is like, you know what I mean? A right. cup of coffee is like two cents or something. You know, I don't know. It's probably a dime or whatever. I leave a coin on the table to pay for it. And, and away we go. It's like now I want to Google it, right? I want to look up like how much was a cup of coffee in 1937? Google anyway. it if you want to. I mean, okay. All right. Well, let's see if uh, that'll come up. How much was a cup of coffee in dang look at all those years 1937 and it should say where you know because a cup of coffee in paris is going to be different from a cup of coffee in sandusky ohio um (laughs) let's see here according to this website um Oh, for no way. Thank you. Okay. Um, that was kind of a, one of those clickbaity type of sites. And it begins slideshow starting in this year. Like, Oh, yeah. Ain't nobody got time for that. All right. So this one's better. Just lets you scroll. Okay. So close enough. Um, 1935. Um, a 
cup of coffee at the Hotel Vancouver was 20 cents. Okay. You might need to leave a little more then. Yeah. Yeah. I might have to leave a quarter. A quarter. A quarter dollar. Oh, man. <laughs> or, uh, you know, two dimes and a nickel. I don't know. <laughs> Either way, you're you're heading out onto the the streets of Los Angeles. What would you like to do? Uh, let's see. Well, I know. Well. I don't know if I got enough information from uh, Sergeant Cardigan to uh, to determine where she was picked up. Like that's what I'm after. I'm after okay. the particulars of where she was picked up, what direction she was walking in, to try and maybe like figure out, you know. Because maybe she was just wandering aimlessly around the streets. Yeah, maybe no, I there can give you that detail alley. if that was maybe your there intention. Was a trajectory. Yeah, um, that, that's that's what I'm after. But I thought maybe wandering, kind of stumbling aimlessly through the downtown streets late at night, um, looking quite a mess, in much disarray, uh, with dirt and blood all over her clothing. Uh, what clothing she was wearing. Um, and basically this beat cops are stumbling around didn't seem to be in any meaningful direction um, picked her up recognized who she was and took her home okay so trying to figure out if um, if she had wandered far right did she wander back into town from the hills or did she wander out of some nearby establishment or building or something like that? Yeah. And that um, seems to be an unknown, even to the police at this point. Okay. The other question I forgot to ask Miss Deacon is she's covered in dirt and blood. Was any of it her blood? She, she sustained any injuries and yeah. so on and so forth. So I should have asked her that. That's okay. So this is our first Cthulhu Confidential. I'm not going to punish you for not asking them immediately. Like we can retro some things as you're getting used oh, to the play. Okay. That's funny. Oh. A retcon. You yeah. Know, keep the kid gloves on for me. And, yeah. All right. At least in the beginning. <laughs> so remembering back to when you totally asked that question. <laughs> 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 um, she does tell you, she says, well, like I said, her clothing was the right mess. Blood, filth, but... I mean, beyond some superficial scratches, um, like maybe she had fallen and, and scraped a, a knee and an elbow, um, it didn't seem to be her injuries. Or if they were, they were long healed by the time she came back home. Okay. Uh, the doctor who examined her said they had seen no trace of any significant wounds, just some 
some bruises and superficial scrapes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Definitely going to have to check out the area where she was picked up then to see if I can snoop around and find anywhere that she might have wandered away from. I think would be a good thing to do next. Okay. Uh, the only thing to keep in mind at this point, um, just to remind you, um, was that this was four weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So about a month ago. And, I mean, she could have been dropped off if this was perpetrated by assailants unknown. Just because she was wandering around there doesn't mean that's where that she was in the area previously. Pulled up in the Studebaker or whatever. <laughs> the Oldsmobile booted her out and then and, and left, you know, left her there to, to wander. Um, that, that, so that's... that's a, that's a possibility. Um, so, you know, I was just thinking that we got to start somewhere, right? We got to start looking for, for clues uh, that way. And I've talked to uh, my cop contact who, uh, who gave me information about when she was picked up. And I don't know if I uh, can do any uh, other contacts that might help, Um, especially given that I don't have anything necessarily uh, particular about about Helen herself, you know? Like, I don't know what she's been saying. I don't know if she has given any clues herself or anything like that. And that would be also useful information. I feel like Margaret would have told me if that's the case, you know? Yeah. She said she's been near mute, um, catatonic, flying into fits every once in a while if, you know, overstimulated. But mm-hmm. otherwise, doesn't even seem to recognize anyone in her household. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, the only person I can think of who might be able to help me with that is uh, is Paz. She might be able to uh, shed some light on things as far as why uh, someone might behave this way, and if not her. Um, Dr. Washington also, but I feel like there are two sides of a of the same coin. Sure. Uh, you can go to your contacts. I will say at this point, you don't have a lot to go on for them to right. give you information for. It's true. So uh, I know you don't have a lot of leads right now, but you'll probably have to chase one and uh, try to get some more information. Uh, yeah. Well, all right. I guess the only thing to, uh, do next that I haven't followed up on is the, uh, the boyfriend. So I should probably track him down and pay him a visit. You would be familiar with, um, the studios 
obviously working in LA. Um, and you would be familiar with, I mean, Capitol Pictures is one of the large studios that's in town. And they have all of their writers set up in a little kind of side office at the edge of their facility. Um, it's actually nicknamed Typewriter Alley because of the telltale sound of the screenwriter's offices. Um, let me grab that for you. Let's see. There we go. Give you a little idea of what you're looking at there. All right. And um, if you wanted, you could certainly head down to Typewriter Alley. Uh, you could scope the place. You could walk in like you have business there. Uh, you could go asking for him. I mean, your approach is up to you. Um, there's, I don't know. I like I like to to take the surreptitious route. Um, that that's just kind of my style, and so I don't want to barge into the office, you know, like I own the place and start demanding answers from this guy, you know. I'd rather catch him somewhere, um, you know, at, at least neutral territory mm. if not you know maybe somewhere where he's uh got uh got his guard down so um i feel like i'm just gonna wait for the guy and follow him okay so i mean the basic description you got of him that he was handsome angry maybe the jealous type um and a writer at capital uh pictures but I can assume that perhaps you asked for more details so that you could recognize him. Um, yes. Um, I feel like I can probably through one of my contacts, get a, uh, get a picture of him or something like that. Like oh, I, sure. can, I can hit up Betty or perhaps Daniel, might know who the guy is maybe daniel could come with me and be like that's that motherfucker right there <laughs> like, yeah i know. think daniel could absolutely let you know exactly where his office is in typewriter alley so you know where to look and, and probably looks like if you want a picture i mean everyone in tinseltown has a headshot right right <laughs> uh, so yeah let's i have see. one myself you are looking for Marshall Daly. Here you go. <laughs> nice. All right. It's interesting. I came across that picture when I was casting Enrique. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're only going to get so many pictures when you search for 1930s man. <laughs> yeah. The 1930s gentleman. <laughs> it's one of them that you'll you'll get all right um so you know who to look for yeah uh you know the type that probably could have had some luck on the silver screen if he had any sort of desire or aptitude for it but daniel's able to let you know exactly where his office is in typewriter alley when he tends to show up um from the information that you get it seems he's a little bit of a a procrastinator, you know, late to arrive, likes chatting with everyone, 
And then when he runs out of excuses, spend some time in his office before leaving for the day. Okay. All right. Well, I know about when he's going to um, knock off for the day. So I feel like if I can just be in the area, then I should be able to follow him to wherever he goes. Right. I mean, I'm going to assume you have a car because it's Los Angeles. Yeah, I was kind of assuming so as well. Okay. Probably not anything glamorous. Right. Um, all right. So if you're trying to be surreptitious, as you say, that would be a typically a shadowing check. And this would just be a quick test. Just a quick test of shadowing. All right. All right. I will I'm tell you that was successful, shadowing. so oh, you're okay. You. So that was a 2d6 <laughs> for a result of only four, but... Yep. But that's that's all you needed in this case. Um, you do notice uh, as he leaves for the day, um, he does seem... You're good at not being noticed because this isn't your first rodeo between your previous work and your current work as a PI, um, you know, having to shadow somebody. But he does seem to be checking behind him an awful lot. He checks over his shoulder when he gets to his car. He checks the rear view mirror almost constantly. Um, mm. He seems paranoid. All right. And he uh, drives over to... Uh, a modest looking house. It doesn't appear to be his own. There are other cars parked on the street and in the drive. Um, looking through the window, you can see it's some sort of meeting is taking place. There's a gathering and some strong talking. If you wanted, you could probably overhear it. I mean, it's 1937 windows, so they're not exactly soundproof or double pane or anything like that. Yeah, depending on the time of year, they might even be open. Yeah, that's true. It's it's Los Angeles. So right. if it's not noir weather, it's warm weather. <laughs> so <laughs> the windows are probably open. There's no air All conditioning. Right. So Yeah. I'll uh I'll creep up and see if what I can what I can overhear. Or this, I'll at least attempt to. Yeah. This you don't have to roll for it. I mean, there's no roll required to hear with your ears. Um, this is very obviously a very, like, I would say, I'm not going to say not serious, but not like plotting, conniving. This is a, a meeting of local members of the communist party. Um, they appear based on the way they're talking to each other to all be screenwriters. Um, and they're, their goals seem light enough that they border, you know, more on the liberal side of things than, than anything extreme. Um, but they do all seem to be very strongly agreeing that the worse they can make Hitler look in their films, the better it will be for, for the party and the people overall. Okay. Hmm. And then... They seem to be wrapping up, um, confident that their goals in writing Hitler to be 
an idiot will deal a, a strike a great blow in the name of the cause. Um, and he gets back in his car and drives to his little apartment um, not far off from the studio areas. All right. So now he's going home. It's mm-hmm. huh. not going to go out or have a drink or anything. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I mean, let's see. I don't want to. Like I said, I don't want to confront the guy on his territory. It'd be much better if he was out somewhere in public. But if he's not going out, I don't have time to waste. I need to get results. So I'll wait for a while and see if he comes back out. And if he doesn't, I'll have to head in. All right. So I'll say after a while, he does come back out, like changed out of his work clothes, basically. Still, I mean, it's 1930s, so still looking fancy somehow because no one has casual clothes. Um, uh, He seems to be taking a brisk walk, perhaps to grab a bite. Um, round out the evening, but he's he's off on foot this time, so maybe not going too far. Okay, yeah, we'll have to uh, keep up uh, keep up the uh, the tail on him. All right, are you just going to wait for him to get somewhere neutral? I mean, I can keep narrating stuff he's doing, but I kind of <laughs> do you want <laughs> what do you want from me? Sorry. I'm waiting for him to go someplace that's, you know, public, neutral, something like that, but that maybe isn't necessarily um, somewhere where we could have a semi-private conversation, but that is still where he doesn't have the home court advantage. Okay. So he takes a brisk walk um, a couple blocks down towards the Chateau Marmont. Um, and heads in through the entrance closest to the bar. Okay. Unless you want to stop him or anything, but that's where he's going. No, that's good. That's perfect. We'll go in to the bar as well. Maybe he'll be seated at the bar. I don't know. Maybe he'll have his table. Hopefully he's not meeting someone, but we'll see. Right. That's why Um, it's exciting. He has... He's um, leaning at, um, you know, it's like a standing table where you can have a drink and whatever. Uh, near the bar, it seems like based on his, like he kind of just walks right up to that table, gives the bartender a nod. Bartender seems to recognize him. Maybe he's a regular um, and starts preparing a drink and he's just waiting doesn't seem to be waiting for anyone in particular, more just waiting for his drink and whatever else okay. the bar keep knows to bring him. Sounds good. Well, I'd like to walk in and walk past him on my way to the bar, perhaps making brief eye contact, not anything out of the ordinary. Just, uh, I see you there chum <laughs> and, um, just unremarkable and make my way to the bar to order my own drink. Okay. What is your goal for this encounter? 
So I want to talk to Marshall about uh, about Helen and find out what he knows um, about her disappearance. Okay. Because so it could be as innocent as I suddenly stopped hearing from her, but yeah, I um, guess I want to know, like, how are you approaching him to have this conversation? Oh, because you're not having it yet, so I don't need to know what you want to know from him. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, no. One, once we, uh, once we both have our drinks, mm-hmm. right? I think I would um, approach him and strike up a conversation, um, and address him by name, and you know, see if he's taken aback. Uh, by this at all as far as you know like usually you come up and you say something like that hey there marshall how's tricks in the writing game or something like that okay and he's like do i know you You well i mean i can tell you what he's like if that's what you're gonna do (laughs) yeah sure no no i'm just i'm just saying like that might be a a standard reaction you know Uh, that someone might have unless you're marshall um, yeah. So when you kind of turn to him and refer to him by name, um, he says, you, you're with whoever those damn scoundrels are who's following me all the time, aren't you? And he takes a stance that in your practiced mind says, I'm going to try to hit you right now. <laughs> Um, right. Do you have sense trouble? I do. Would you like to roll it for me? Let me roll that for you. All right. Box cards. Oh, oh my. All right. So he. I don't know if that's good or bad, but. No, that's good for is. you. Um, and obviously, uh, this is the best. So, a six or better in this case, this was actually a bit of a harder challenge, means that you are easily able to read his punch and just step around him and kind of pull his arm around to make sure he can't do any damage and maybe get him to calm down a bit. Um, in fact, if you'd like to describe the move that you do to avoid getting hit and avoid having to hit him, uh, you may do so. Got it. Okay. So, um, Assuming that like he's trying to to hit me in uh, you know thirty style uh, boxing you know and and uh, he he comes in just with a straight cross you know right and step across that and manage to redirect it with both of your hands you know kind of one uh, between wrist and elbow and the right. other one right at the elbow to kind of direct it past you and you end up sort of switching places when when you do that kind of thing and it directs his momentum um towards the bar where you were coming from right and swings you back around back to where he was standing and uh while he recovers himself because you don't you know you don't throw him with any force right you just kind of direct it so that it doesn't hit you and uh and switch places with the guy. And that allows you to 
again while he recombobulates himself because that's usually unexpected for someone to do that i think you can say look i just want to talk that's not a good idea if it's going to go that way friend so being so easily disarmed a couple things are going to happen because of your role so we'll get into the crunch of it here in a second as crunchy as this game gets which is not very but he kind of puts his hands up and he's like all right we don't need trouble I'm just sick of being followed, you see. Um, for your your success, because you rolled a six or better, you do get another edge. So you get this one, which is quick reactions. Quick reactions. Okay. Oh, man, I get to spend that for an extra die on any athletics, driving, or fighting test. Okay. That's good. I've got, I've got an edge. All right. <laughs> and because you succeeded on the roll without needing that second die, so notice you already had succeeded with your first six. So you didn't need your second one. Yeah. That gives you an extra push. So on your character portrait, you'll notice you'll have the little red four at the corner. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make mm -hmm. that a red five for you. Oh. So remember, you can spend a push uh, to get a little bit of extra information during using your investigation abilities, um, or there will be certain situations where I'll let you know, oh, if you spend a push on this, you'll get something like this, you know, so I'll give you opportunities to spend them if you have them, um, right. but right now you have five. And with that, with Marshall putting up his hands in a, you know, a show of surrender, um, looking back towards his drink, because it's now behind you on the table, uh, <laughs> since you switched places. Mm -hmm. He says, all right, don't need trouble. I'm just sick of being followed all the time. That is where we'll leave it until next time. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Man, I have the perfect uh, I have the perfect move. Hopefully, I remember it for next time. We'll put it in your notes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds good. All right. Well, how are you liking it so far? Uh, <clears throat> so far so good. I'm not very good at sleuthing, so I can only <laughs> imagine. <laughs> I just I, I just hear the the voices of anyone like listening. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God, talk to the boyfriend. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, dicking around, you know, talking here, talking there, wanting to go, you know, case the neighborhood where she was picked up and all this other shit. And it's like, haven't you ever seen like a, an episode of CSI or anything? Like, the husband, boyfriend, wife, girlfriend is always the, the prime suspect. And as even a, you know, rookie detective, I would probably know that so um it's just it's it's definitely fun and it's easy to play uh but it is a uh game type that i said from the outset you know in session zero is is difficult for me just inherently you know and i don't I oh don't you're doing why, well though you know <laughs> you're, you're not know giving why. yourself enough credit you're doing fine and again, it's our first time together. We're both playing this for the first time. So, you know, 
a little bit of, you know, backpedaling, a little bit of resolving things of hints and help and stuff, I think is to be expected in the first couple of scenes, at least until you kind of find your rhythm to it. Yeah. I mean, so that being said, it's, it's great. You know, um, character creation was very rich and very, uh, straightforward. I feel like it's something you could do in an hour or two, you know, tops. That's if you wanted to really get into, uh, some of the more nitty gritty details of your character and then just jump right into it, you know? So, uh, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And for most of you out there, if you're interested in this game, um, all these scenarios, so they, there are scenarios in LA, in um, New York and in DC, and all of them have a, an investigator associated with them that you can just pick up and play without really doing much of anything or alternatively, kind of like we did, you can customize um, an investigator instead, but it's not at all necessary. This is pretty quick to jump into depending on, on how much like silly casting prep you want to do. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much for playing with me this weekday evening on a work night. <laughs> hey, you know, we're, we're gonna have to squeeze it in where we can. Um, more and more, but I think that uh, the small bites for, you know, easier, more engaging systems will definitely lend themselves to that. Yeah. Um, and it's just the two of us. I mean, it's not like it's difficult to schedule. Uh, true. So <laughs> we know where we live. <laughs> true. 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 I mean, we tend to be in close communication. All right. Well, until next time, barbarians, spend your rage wisely. And I don't have a line for this yet. Yeah, same. Or don't, because in Noir LA, it rains every day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. I'm sure we'll think of something as we get into it. Yeah, I think so too. All right. See you next time. Goodbye. Thank you, Barbarians, for listening to Session 1, A Dame Walks In, in our Cthulhu Confidential series. If you want to support our podcast and help us make more content, check us out on patreon.com slash justbarbarianthings. Our Session 0 episodes are only available to patrons, and podcasts with video versions are premiered early for our patrons as well. If you like the music in our intro and outro, it's Interrogation Room on Tabletop Audio. Check them out at tabletopaudio.com for free music and ambiance for use in your own games. Links to everything I've mentioned and more can be found in the description. Until next time, barbarians, spend your rage and your rain-soaked nights wisely.